Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Mikoroi Hawkins. Coming up first. The people of Vanuatu are very, very resilient. We are the most disaster prone country in the world, according to the World Bank. Vanuatu is being lashed by its second cyclone in the space of two days, and as if that wasn't enough, it's been hit by an earthquake as well. Also, so one orchard, for example, might be totally devastated, and the one next door might be fine. Pacific RSE workers are back at work as the cleanup and recovery efforts continue for parts of the North Island. And later on... Time is everything. Time is a healer. I could have released the book much earlier, but there's too much at stake. Veteran PNG General pitches Hollywood his account of the Sandline crisis during the Bougainville Civil War. Vanuatu is currently being lashed by its second cyclone in the space of two days. Cyclone Kevin is currently a Category 3 system with winds gusting up to 185 kilometers per hour. At the time this program was recorded, it had yet to reach Vila and was on a path to hit the already severely damaged southern province of Tafia on Saturday morning at almost Category 4 strength, which could see winds reaching over 200 kilometers per hour. Caleb Fotheringham has more. One cyclone down, an earthquake in between, and now Category 3 cyclone Kevin is battering the Pacific Island nation. Prime Minister Ishmael Kalasakal declared a state of emergency for areas in Vanuatu impacted by severe tropical cyclone Judy. Mr Kalasakal says the Council of Ministers met yesterday where he approved the request by the National Disaster Committee. Be glad. I'm pleased to announce that the Council of Ministers has met this afternoon and it has approved a request from the National Disaster Committee to ask the President of the Republic of Vanuatu to declare a state of emergency for the islands that have been highly affected and impacted by Tropical Cyclone Judy, effective this evening. This morning, Port Vila journalist Dan McGarry says the country's second biggest city, Luganville, was feeling the impact of Kevin. He says the longer it takes to reach Port Vila, the worse it will be for the country's capital. There's anticipation that a lot of the debris that was knocked to the ground by Cyclone Judy will be picked up again and thrown around. So we're anticipating a little bit of additional danger from today's cyclone. Mr McGarry says Cyclone Judy has caused widespread but moderate damage and there has been no news of injuries. Chief of Vanuatu's UNICEF office, Eric Dupier, says about half the population has been affected. What we can see around is that three branch roofs have been destroyed. I just got a report that the newborn room in the Vanuatu uh, Central Hospital, uh, the roof has slid away. And uh, I mean, that's the type of things we have uh, reported. Mr Dupier says gardens were destroyed and the country's food security was at risk. He says Cyclone Judy left some of the northern islands largely unaffected, which could have assisted the rest of the country with food supplies. But if the second cyclone is also destroying garden and uh, agriculture in, in other islands, it will be a real challenge in the coming weeks and months. The country director for World Vision Vanuatu, Kendra Deraso, says the country will definitely be seeking international help. Given the damage that I can see here in Port Vila and the fact that another cyclone is coming, 
I anticipate that they will be calling on their government partners as well for additional relief. And World Vision Vanuatu will also be working with the Australian and New Zealand governments to uh, secure funding. Meanwhile, the southern islands, Tana and Iramango, which are expected to be worse hit by Judy, remain unreachable. Aucklander Greg Watt, who used to split his time between Tana and New Zealand, is feeling anxious about the situation. Given that Judy was a direct hit on Tana, and it looks like Kevin is also going to be a direct hit on Tana, it's not looking great. However, Mr McGarry says the people of Vanuatu have been through bigger cyclones in the past and will get through this one. But it doesn't mean it's easy. The people of Vanuatu are very, very resilient. We are the most disaster-prone country in the world, according to the World Bank, and we're living up to our reputation this year. The National Disaster Office has indicated no assessments of damage will be undertaken until Cyclone Kevin has gone, but the government has already requested France to provide military aircraft for reconnaissance. Cleanup and recovery efforts are ongoing for parts of New Zealand's North Island, particularly in the worst-hit regions of Hawke's Bay, Tairawhiti and Auckland. A while ago, we brought you the story of how Cyclone Gabriel left hundreds of Pacific RC workers in Hawke's Bay homeless, resorting to take shelter in various church halls and community centres. Today, they're back on their feet, returning to work and relocating to safer accommodations. However, the weather event and rebuild has come at a cost to people's mental well-being. Susana Suisuiki has the story. All safe and accounted for. Those were the words from the New Zealand government to describe the Pacific REC workers in Hawke's Bay post-cyclone Gabriel. What wasn't anticipated, however, was the scale of trauma present among the workers. Since last week, the Pacifica Medical Association's medical assistance team have been on the ground in Hawke's Bay responding to the urgent health needs for over 500 RSC workers. The floods have left a lot of workers with skin infections and respiratory issues. Pacifica Medical Association CEO Debbie Sorensen says workers have also become anxious since the cyclone. Anxiety about their jobs. Will they still have a job? Um, because And it's not universal, you see, and anywhere. Um, So one orchard, for example, might be totally devastated and the one next door might be fine. So uh, a lot of initial anxiety about what happens now. Um, Will I get paid as a worry? Jumping straight into action to house hundreds of displaced RSC workers were church members who also provided pastoral support. However, church leader Charles Falitutsulu says although the cyclone is gone, it has left the community more on edge. Napier is a a different place now. I guess, um, you know, some some people are unable to get back into their normal routines. Yeah, I guess now we live in that, with that mindset that you know any time uh, we could just be wiped away. Taylor Crichton from Samoa, who's been working in New Zealand for over a year, says when Cyclone Gabriel hit, he and his group of workers grabbed as much as they could and fled. Mr Crichton says he's thankful none of the RSC workers were killed and he's determined to move past the trauma. Last couple of days ago, since the cyclone was happening, was feeling uncertain. He was thinking of uh, what's the next step, also the, for the boys here. But uh, right now, we're doing good. The Pacifica medical team will continue to remain in Hawke's Bay. Another team has recently been deployed to Wairoa. Ms Sorensen says they are finding, as they have always known, their resilience is ingrained in Pacific people. Even in these desperate times that seem quite dark some days over the last couple of weeks, we know that we'll prevail and will prevail because we have strong faith 
we have navigated our ways, our forefathers navigated across big oceans into the unknown and made a better life for ourselves. In 1997, the Papua New Guinea government tried to bring in mercenaries to replace the defence force in the then eight-year-long civil war in Bougainville. But the commander of the PNGDF at the time, Major General Jerry Singerok, led the army in opposition to the government plan in an operation called Rausimkwit and forced the Sandline mercenaries out of the country. The general's defiance cost him his military career, caused the collapse of the Sir Julius Chan government and helped hasten the end of the civil war. Major General Singerok published his account of the affair, A Matter of Conscience, Rausim Quick, last year. And late last month, he was in Hollywood pitching the book to filmmakers. Don Wiseman talked to the former general about his Hollywood trip, but began by asking what prompted the book after all this time. Timing is everything. Time is a healer. I could have released the book much earlier, but... There's too much at stake. The whole country was divided because they've never heard of a, of a military general in Papua New Guinea defying uh, executive government orders. And when I did what I did in 97, the whole government agencies put all their resources to send me to jail. So you can understand, I think timing was the greatest factor. I had all the, most of my documents, evidences available, but I had to vie for time until I thought it was right for me to uh, release my book. What was the key thing that you wanted to achieve in doing so? The reason why I I wrote this book is that we needed to leave a a record behind because there's less lack of documentation in Papua New Guinea to record and document history. The memory of a country is quite short if there's no documentation. It's like a fairy tale. And the Bougainville crisis is the... One of those significant crises that changed the course of the country because it ran for nearly 10 years. And it it just put a lot of thematical issues at play. Politics, bad government, corruption, corporate greed. I mean, you just need to read the book to understand the the complexity and the the dynamics of, of, uh, of my writing to appreciate that the military component is one aspect, but the military is well and truly entwined into all these various aspects of, uh, of a nation. It's important to note that I'm well-trained and educated. I'm a fair guy. It's, it's important that the, when I was appointed commander of the PNGDF, the, the, the whole country relied on my, on my credibility, my integrity, my standing as a, as a military officer so that I'm able to, to carry out the constitutional requirement that's expected of the commander to perform. So I'd like to believe that uh, I was properly appointed as a commander at the material time. Uh, so it's important that I document something. If I if I don't, who else in my position will document so that one day the generation, the next generation of Papua New Guineans will learn from the mistakes that we've done. And the second issue is that uh, Papua New Guinea governments were prepared to uh, engage the military in a civil situation where nobody's accountable for the killings of civilians, innocent civilians who are not armed. I mean, you couldn't define what a militia force is, so it was a typical guerrilla warfare, but 
it needed officers and men with who are who are quite what will I say uh, quite intelligent in their decision making. It's not a battlefield per se. We're dealing with uh, peace enforcement and, and and managing peace. So if there's any, so uh, it's important for me to document that, Don. All right, and as you say, people can learn it all by reading the book or there may be a chance of them seeing a Hollywood movie of it because you've been in Hollywood pitching this story to uh, Hollywood execs. And how did that go? Yeah, I just, I mean, there's a lot of uh, misconception about my trip to Hollywood. I just want to set the record straight. The publishing company that assisted me to publish the book is called Auto Solutions. It's based in uh, Indiana in USA. Now, they took my book along with many other books that they published to the Miami Book Book Fair last year in November. And amongst many, many authors, global authors, who uh, put their books on display, mine was singled out by Auto Solution as one of the best contemporary books written by a real general, by himself, on events that impacted a nation. So my book was quite unique and singled out as a possible opportunity to do what is called book to screen. And uh, it withstood the elimination up until a very handful of uh, of books were identified for the uh, Beverly Hills uh, Hilton Hotel pitch. And that's how I was really, really privileged to be uh, an author. I'm a global author now, to be recognize my work so that it's it has the potential to to be converted into a movie i pitched before seven agents or directors of big big names in hollywood and within two weeks i will know if my my book had had basically withstood the assessment criteria for engagement of a of a movie company with me how much confidence do you have that that'll go your way it's still being subjected to analysis. There's a person that uh, John Saki is, is waiting for all the assessments to go through before they can officially inform me. But because I pitched seven times, and from those people I pitched to, they had so many questions. I mean, they, they were so eager to learn what operation roused him quick. And they're asking me, you uh, expel, you kicked out the African mercenaries in the Pacific in Papua New Guinea? I said, yes, I did. Is this real? You know, I mean, they can't believe that it happened. I mean, Sunland mercenaries are some of the most notorious mercenaries in Africa because they're offshoot of executive outcomes. Uh, Colonel Erin Balo from South Africa, Pretoria, so you can understand the reputation that they have. Like I said, I quoted Sir Edmund Beck's uh, great saying, a quote, and, and I quote, all is necessary for triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing, end of quote. And we were good men. So I was the general commander at the time. I had very highly professional junior officers with me, and they, they believe in the cause. And, and we were committed to, to expel mercenaries so that we can make Papua New Guinea and the Pacific a uh, a, a more peaceful place to live in without um, African mercenary-style outfits in mining areas and resource-rich uh, provinces in Papua New Guinea. That specific waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Look at me for next time more.